Hello and welcome to Las Blancas podcast. I'm your host, Omarvin. And as always, I'm joined by Grant Little. Today, we're going to go over Real Madrid Femenino's 3-1 victory away to Real Sociedad, a huge victory against the second place team in the table. They only had two defeats prior to this one. Grant, how are you doing? It was, I guess, a bit of a weird one in that I, I don't know if the scoreline necessarily reflects how the game went, but Three points is three points, especially against a side like that, and with us trying to claw our way back in the Champions League spots. Yeah, it was a it was a really weird one, but you know, like you said, the last time that they lost was in October. It was back to back losses to Levante and Barcelona, and they have not lost since. And I mean, regardless of whether they played well or didn't play well, like they've been tough to beat, and we didn't really play all that well I didn't think and we were gifted a few goals but ultimately we converted got the three points and it was a really big three points it was a really big three points a lot of these games versus Real Sociedad have just been weird if we go back to our first encounter in the league versus them all the way back last season it opens if I'm remembering correctly with this Cardona Golazo And it's like completely against a run of play. And for a while, it looks like we're going to run away with it. And then they come back and stomp us 3-1, I think. And then in the one that everyone remembers, which was the comeback victory, we were so much better than them playing for the majority of that game. We were playing in a diamond. And we also see that they're up 2-0 versus us. And then we change things up, bring on substitutes, and we somehow claw our way back in a period where we also see that we're starting to look better. So the entire way the game flowed in relation to the goals was like flipped. And then the loss we had to them early in the season, like I remember that was like the one game we lost in that stretch under Osnar where we were like, we were actually the better team for at least the first half. It felt like we were clearly better and it just nothing happened for us. And then we also see that ran away with the victory there. So that was bizarre. And then we come into this one where I think it's mostly even, and there just wasn't that much going on in both boxes until or flurry of substitutions at the end by Real Sociedad and game state had changed everything. But up until that point, it was like, there's not much happening, and yet somehow it was 3-0 in favor of us by the 60th minute. So it just feels like between these two, with the quality out there on the pitch, the way these two teams play each other, the flow of the match won't necessarily correlate with the goals because goals can just come from nowhere, whether that be quality, whether that be mistakes. And really today it was mostly mistakes, honestly, from both sides with how all of the goals were scored. So Grant, the lineups, we went with the, I think now quite typical 4-2-3-1, Misa and goal, Kenti, Ivana, Bobs, Svava at the back, double pivot, of Kasi and Tere. Tere in because Zornoza was suspended, as we talked about last game. Wingers of Cardona and Muller. And then Esther up top ahead of Maite, who has now become our number 10. We know Toril likes to rotate. We saw, I guess, um, some, some changes from last game in terms of Cardona coming in and stuff like that. I, were you happy with the lineup? Yeah, overall, I thought it was about the strongest lineup that we could put out other than I would have put Athenea in for Muller. I don't know how I feel yet about Muller in kind of a wing role. So 
especially considering the way that that Athene has been playing, I expected her to be in just because of the magnitude of this game. But we know that he wants to rotate, and Athene has been playing a lot of minutes, so it does make sense to to make that rotation, and you still have plenty of quality in the front three with doing that. I think Toril at the moment really sees something in Muller out wide. I thought she had some pretty solid moments actually, but if I was to pick between the two, right, all else equal in terms of fitness, everything else, for me, it would be Athene on that left wing. Although given where Toril has been playing Muller and the way he's been rotating all of his wide options, the one I was really surprised by was Aslani not getting the start. I mean, I get that she's coming back in, but she seemed kind of ready to me, but he's also been careful with Aslani bringing her back and making sure everything's okay with her. So we'll see how it goes forward. I mean, I like Maite as the 10. We've discussed Maite's performance last game, where her best position might suit her, everything. But I think in the Gala 11, if we're going to play 4 2 3 1, Aslani is the starter in that position. Anyway, that was the lineup we ended up going with. I think most of the other positions weren't really that much of a surprise. I think Svava deserved the second start after the way she played. And I mean, imagine your first two games being against Tony Payne and Amayor. That was Svava's reality, but we'll talk about how she handled that. Opening minutes to this one, we have to go straight to the goal, right? Like what on earth happened there? What on earth was Vanegas doing on that play? Not paying attention is what she was doing. Vanegas received the ball out wide left and went to make a back pass. And Esther makes the same pressing run in between the the passer of the ball and the goalkeeper that she does every single match to pretty much no avail. But this time she mishit the back pass right into stride for Esther. It wasn't even close to the goalkeeper. If we're being honest, I mean, I think it was, a pretty atrocious back pass. Esther gets it and rounds the keeper and just slots it home. At first, I didn't know if the ball went in because the camera was a bit potato-y in this one. And I, I had to see Esther running toward the camera celebrating before I was sure that it went in. I was so um, unprepared for a goal like that that early. Well, if we're going to do the honesty here, then that broadcast might have been the worst I've ever seen. And we've done ones where, like, the feed just cuts out. And it was really like, bad. It was Real Sociedad disaster class in every single way, to, from the broadcast to the pitch. I mean, <laughs> there was the camera angle, which was awful, but we've kind of seen this before with the way matches. For whatever reason, the camera was never in focus. That was a new one. The, the angle wasn't just bad. It was like somebody was filming this with their hand because it would like yeah. hand to the corner and start shaking. <laughs> also, they had no lights. Like the yeah, second there were no lights. So <laughs> as you were, yeah, as you're drawing to the second half, it was like, I is my screen getting darker or like what's happening here? And it's like you you just couldn't see shit anymore. So there was that. There was also the fact that. The audio was bizarre in a way I can't quite put my finger on as to why in that the audio levels for the two commentators were just completely different. It was, it was as if like right. they were doing this over a Zoom call. 
or something like it that was bizarre like i ended up just muting it after like 10 minutes it's like i can't do this anymore like i can't up the volume to hear what the dude is saying and then have my like eardrums destroyed when the woman starts talking so yeah that was a very interesting experience and perhaps symbolically reflective of the way we also see that started that game and, and some of the mistakes they made yeah i mean look vanega has really hurt her side today it, it is what it is um and that was kind of the beginning of it a, a back pass where you just gift a goal like that to real madrid in a game you know is going to be tough with the, in the side. third minute too yeah, and the third minute with all the quality we have not just quality but quality that that's there on the counterattack, right? Like, I think it, it really affected the way the rest of the game played out because I'm not sure we would have gone out and, like, pressed, pressed them, like, just gone gung-ho and stuff. But we were certainly quite content to sit off maybe a little more than I think we would have after that one nil went off and just said, okay, come on to us now, try to break us down, and we'll attack the spacing behind the fullbacks and see what happens. I think it just became a much trickier proposition for Real Sociedad after that. And obviously there are all the mental factors and, you know, being shook by that happening, which is like, it, it was almost like Arroyo like had her plans thrown out the window after that. So that was a crucial, crucial moment that I don't think can be underestimated after that. Like, I mean, it took a while, like it wasn't until like maybe 10 minutes or so that I felt like Real Sociedad were actually playing their normal possession game right, actually working it into the opposition half, putting a number of passes together. I mean, they fancy themselves as a sophisticated possession unit. There were some interesting things going on in the attack that kind of always happens. You and I were kind of having a back and forth on Slack, trying to figure out what the attack was with Nerea playing out on the left and with kind of like the profiles they had in central midfield, Hilly and, and Gabriela Garcia kind of just floating around and adjusting to Nerea coming inside along with Amayur on the right-hand side who has a willingness to like attack on the diagonal interchange with Francie. It was really fluid. I would say it was like a base 4-3-3 with then like the movements kind of happening out of that. And yeah, I mean, there were some nice things going on there and they started to work their way into our half, but it's kind of hard to pin out in this these opening stages of the half, like, we also see that creating many real chances, right? Yeah, overall, what I saw was a lot of fluidity when they got to the final third. But I think that Real Madrid did a pretty good job, at least early on before it got a little more transitional, of plugging central lanes and denying the first option. You talked about that 4-2-3-1, and I think that you know you had Esther running around like a maniac like she always does. But then you had that line of three with the two wingers and Maite spaced really well. And then Kasi and There pushing up in the gaps between them, which really limited central progression. So they had to go outside. And overall, you know, Real Sociedad had a lot of the ball in the first part of the first half and most of the first half in general. But I thought that they were limited in what they were able to create once they got down the flanks. They were fluid, but I think they had kind of this inability to properly link up. And then when they were able to get themselves in those positions, I thought Kenti, Svava, and the two center backs, Bobs and Ivana, did a pretty good job in those situations, just poking the ball away. 
And Real Sociedad did themselves no favors, just making odd passes in those areas. And I think overall, the whole team was off. I don't know if they were necessarily off from the start or if that that early goal kind of punched them in the face and then they were off. But it didn't look to be clicking in the final third for them at all today. I think we did a really good job staying compact in the center, defending obviously in a 4-4-2. Maite often being the one tucking inside on Iris. So they didn't have like instant access to her and just in general being really tight with everything that was happening in midfield, denying the obvious passes there, not playing into Real Sociedad's hands by like getting pulled out with their interchanges and stuff. When we kind of defend in this way and we're locked into that like 4-4-2, type of defense, we tend to do it pretty well. Like we're quite used to it at this point. And so Real Sociedad really had to go through wide areas a lot more, which isn't necessarily a bad thing for them. I mean, that's when they can really get Amayur on the ball. The problem was, was I think Svava did an incredible job handling her. Like there just wasn't much to speak of from Amayur throughout this game. Like she eventually ends up switching to the left-hand side after even prior to, to the subs. But yeah, I mean, another really impressive defensive performance by Svava. I mean, Amayur, you could argue outside of Barca, and obviously since we're Real Madrid, we can't count any Real Madrid players. Amayur is probably the toughest wide attacking assignment out of anyone else. I mean, her goal scoring record in the league is incredible. Her and Nerea have been carrying the offense of that Real Sociedad team. Amayur has hurt us in the past beforehand. We know exactly how good she is. and just she just couldn't necessarily get it going it's not it wasn't even necessarily just an on-ball thing she loves to make these runs in behind like Svava was sharp to a lot of it we'll get to the big mistake Ivana did end up making but in these moments I thought Ivana was also quite good coming over to cover and stuff like that so we just had most of it locked down and it was hard for Real Sociedad to get something creative flowing outside of that. Like ultimately, they, they were they were taking a lot of long shots that came fairly close to troubling Misa on certain occasions, but ultimately just isn't high probability offense, especially not when you're one nil down and you really, really need to get a goal to to level things as soon as possible. So yeah, it was after that goal, it was kind of a half where not that much was eventful. It was a lot of Real Sociedad possession and a lot of things not panning out for them. There was one moment where there was a Amayor Franci interchange. Franci was able to get the ball out wide, put a cross into the box, and Amayor just was unable to get there. And that was probably their most dangerous kind of combination of the game. That's about the only thing I can remember in the first half. Maybe Grant, you have some other opportunities you were thinking of. I would say Real Madrid got maybe two or three dangerous counters. So, like, we came out of that first half slightly better in terms of the dangerous opportunities produced. Real Sociedad, I think, other than that, that's the one that I had written down as well. I think a lot of I think a lot of the counters that Real Madrid had, there was a lot of space to be exploited, but we didn't really turn them in to concrete chances. The only chance I can really think of is in the 35th minute when Cardona does some magic, gets free of one, drives toward midfield and puts off a really good pass 
to Caroline Muller Hansen running through. Muller receives the pass, and she kind of takes it a bit wide and narrows her own angle a little bit and pushes it just wide of the post. But other than that, there weren't chances to speak of. Yeah, that Muller one versus one from a tough angle was the big counterattacking moment from, from us. I thought that was our best counterattacking moment and a nice bit of magic from Cardona there. That's, that's what we want to see as she progresses back into be, becoming her best. I would say, though, so in terms of like this dynamic, right, where it's we also see that have most of the possession, not able to create that much, us living off counterattacks when we have turnovers, that dynamic I think was fairly comfortable for us, even though we would have wanted to turn more counterattacks into something like that, that Mueller chance. I think where we really fell short and where we weren't able to kind of put the game more on our terms so that we could relieve some of the pressure that Real Sociedad were throwing at us was when we were in set possession, when we were building from goal kicks, when we got a turnover and there wasn't a chance to counterattack. So we recycled, everyone got into their positions for both sides, and then we had to progress. Real Sociedad obviously are going to be a team that presses. They came out, pressed hard, 4-4-2. And I think we, we, we saw some of the problems that we've had in the past when trying to build versus pressure with the double pivot, where we kind of lack those overloads in the middle. We just play it wide. All the sideline options are marked, and we just bomb the pass into the channel, or we bomb the pass into the forward. And I don't know whether it was that was an instruction. I don't know whether that was just the players doing it because they saw their options closed off. But that was what we were doing overwhelming majority of the time to the point where eventually Miso would just on goal kick. She just tell everyone to go up the pitch and she just kick it forward, and it didn't really result in much positive for us. It was just possession back to Real Sociedad, set back into our defensive shape and see what happens. And because we weren't generating tons and tons of counterattacks, it wasn't necessarily like that was a net win for us, right? I think probably it would have been better for us had we been able to have some sequences breaking through Real Madrid's pressure, getting to attack that back line in space by doing so, and then going forward to create more chances, right? It didn't really look at that point, like at the end of the first half, like there, it didn't seem like an obvious way for how either side was going to score more goals, right? It just kind of looked like it was just going to be 1-0. What did you think about our buildup in those moments? Were you okay with it? Would you have liked this to, to, to be a bit, a bit better? And, and how do you assess that? Yeah, this felt weird because in the first half, I thought, Although we didn't have much of the ball, we were doing well defensively and were okay just sitting back and kind of absorbing pressure. But we really did struggle when Real Sociedad got those numbers forward to eventually play out of it. I think they did a pretty good job pressing on goal kicks and limiting options. But then as the half progressed and we were able to maybe put our foot on the ball, get the ball, and then play it back to one of the center backs and then start play. La Real wasn't as set up. Maybe they were tiring a bit and you were able to then play a bit more. But overall, I just didn't think that we either had the capacity to play through them at moments. And I didn't really know if we wanted to. 
Like it felt like we got the early goal and then we were sitting back and we would pick our moments to possess, but they were few and far between. I think after the goal, the first real possession that I had written down in La Real's final third was in the 25th minute. We've mostly relied on counterattacks. And like you said, I don't know if that was by design, but when you have the likes of Teresa, Maite, and Kasi in the midfield, I think that you should be able to, to put your foot on the ball and play through a little bit better than we did today. I think the point about having Maite in there and being unable to do that is the big one for me because I think the big advantage of having Maite as a number 10, as opposed to even someone like Aslani who can do this as well, but not to the same extent that Maite can. And, and But really, this is like a point about just com- comparisons to like more traditional tens, right? Like the real advantage of having Maite here is if we're facing pressure, we can create a number of looks and build up with her dropping off to different areas. Like we can just create, you know, a midfield three in that specific scenario off of goal kicks to be able to build. And we can have those advantages. And then as we build towards the final third, we can revert and Maite can become the number 10 again. We can probably do that pretty seamlessly with some coaching there. Because Maite's like broad skill set, the amount of things she can do in possession really allows her for that. That's why she played as a defensive midfielder last season. Even though we were like, is she really the best here? It was still a big net positive for the team. It's why when she's played, even as the more advanced member of a double pivot or as an interior in a midfield three, it all looks good because she can do it all when it comes to contributing in possession. And the fact that we didn't take advantage of that in a game where it really felt we could use some respite in possession, just move the ball forward, have something in the final third from time to time. That was a little disappointing to me. That I think is a big area for growth. And if Maite is going to play this position, I think you really need to maximize the amount of tactical versatility she can give you from that position. Because in terms of what she's going to do in the final third, in terms of like raw goal contribution, it's going to be a tier below what you expect from a more traditional 10, right? Like, I mean, she'll be really good conducting play, receiving between the lines, but she's not going to be a goal and assist machine. And so the real advantage there is that she can do attacking midfield things in addition to the fact that it's like having another central midfielder, right? It's like an immense amount of control she gives you as a number 10 with that taste of incisiveness. And that's something we really got to take advantage of if we're going to play her in that position. So a bit disappointing to me. It's an area for growth. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time. How we build against pressure from a double pivot is, is one of the things that will determine the ceiling of the side because the personnel that we have in the team like really seems to kind of suit a 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1, which is why I think Toril has turned to it. So there's that point. And then I think the fact that we weren't using Maite in more creative ways deeper, I think led to her have a pretty anonymous game. I don't know if you have any notes on her, but I was not surprised to see her come off for Aslani. It was like the exact opposite of the match we saw versus Sevilla. And Sevilla got cooked by Villarreal, by the way. I don't, I don't know if got the people listening managed to catch that, but that team is a defensive mess. But anyway, it was, it was basically the exact opposite, right? Like Maite was ever present versus Sevilla. It was a team that didn't really pressure us. And we were able to get her on the ball in, in good situations. We also see that for all of like their weird issues building up and all the mistakes they made. 
Defensively, they were quite sound counter-pressing and pressing. And Maite just was not able to find the space. And we didn't necessarily do a bunch of, you know, different things to, to, to open up lanes for her to receive. What do you think about Maite's performance? Am I missing any particular moments where she's shown? No, not really. I thought she's really struggled to get on the ball in this one. And that goes back to just the inability for us to put things together in the middle of the field. And I think she really suffered from that. And I think that's pretty much about the first half. Like it, when it's an uneventful half, there's only so many like points you can make tactically and stuff like that. Guess what happens to open the second half? A goal instantly. Three minutes in again. <laughs> <laughs> this time it was like a little less, oh my God, like we also said, what are you doing? And a bit more about quality on our ends. Fava takes a really nice corner kick. Esther outmatches her mark in the air and puts a header into the back of the net. I mean, you can probably argue we also that she defend that a little better, but it was mainly quality from us, I think. What do you think about that goal and, and, and Sfava's delivery and, and Esther getting on the score sheet second time? Yeah, so this half started and, and it looked like we were going to be on the, the front foot a little more. We won a few set pieces and you saw Tere putting in dangerous services with her right foot. And then they... Terry and Svava kind of ran over to the corner and we hadn't seen Svava take a set piece before for Real Madrid. And she takes this really nice in swinging corner with her left foot. Esther gets on the end of it because she is just a monster when the ball is near her and near the goal scores three minutes into a half again, makes it two zero. But, and then a few minutes after that, I just felt like, when we don't have Terry on the pitch, I think our some of our set piece service lacks, but we also don't have somebody who can play a lot of left footed set pieces. And we saw Svava step up and do that today on the corner on a free kick outside the box where she lofted it toward the back post. And I think that's a weapon that we could really look at, make more use of, because like I said, we don't have that dangerous service when Terry's not on the field. But one of Terry and Svava are likely to be on the field. And I think both of them provided a little bit of a spark on set pieces with their service. It was a good goal. And it's nice to see that Svava has that to her game. I mean, I'm not surprised. The scout report coming out was that she was a good crosser of the ball. It's why she could play fullback so well. And so it was nice to see that applied on set pieces. And for, I think, Real Madrid to just kind of pick up on that and be like, we signed this player. Why don't we use it in that moment? It was well executed. And it was another shock to the system for Real Sociedad because now they're in huge trouble, right? Like there was maybe a sense coming towards the end of that first half, like they hadn't created much, but they, they had control of the game, right? So like, it was just a matter of time. They just had to keep chipping away, chipping away. And maybe they could find a goal somewhere in the second half and win it late. And there you go. There, it's two one. It's completely different when it's two nil. And now it's now like there's a real urgency to everything they have to do, right? They have to start forcing things. They have to start trying to hit windows that they might not have that will risk destabilizing them in defensive transition. And yeah, I mean, it was just really perfect timing for us in terms of the goal. And not long after that, Aslani comes on for Cardona and is not much later that she just ends up scoring. I mean, hell of a contribution, but I once again ask you, Grant, what is Vanega doing here? This was baffling. I have no idea what she was doing, what she was thinking. 
the goalkeeper comes over to take a goal kick and kind of just passes to Venega, if I'm not mistaken. And then she tries to hit a cross field pass, maybe. And it's just a laser to Aslani and she brings it down and finishes. It was bizarre. Yeah. And then it's three nil, right? An hour played and it's kind of like a question of what exactly is going on here in terms of Real Sociedad and what is it that they're supposed to do? The reaction I thought was quite interesting because a couple minutes later, Allegra Poyak comes on for Hemahili, striker, winger brought on for a central midfielder. And we also see that just kind of abandon a little bit what they were trying previously, more patient possession play, really trying to work their way through to the block. And we're just like, let's overload Real Madrid's defensive line and just play balls in and see what happens. So this, this is around the time Amayor goes to the left and it gets like, it gets really fluid here because Francie is also like kind of attacking that right channel. Poliak is somewhere on the right interchanging with something in the center. And then Nerea almost like becomes kind of like a false nine. So you just have a bunch of players who are ready to run onto the, the last line, almost like a four versus four, just straight up before the fullbacks even join play. And I have to say, this point onwards, we also see that did start to apply a lot of pressure and start to create some serious chances. Now, obviously, game state is a huge factor here because 3-0 up, all we're doing at this point is just sitting back and saying, come on to us. But we, it, it wasn't altogether too dissimilar from a, some of the stuff that was happening in the first half, and we were basically able to hold them off. That was kind of no longer the case. We also see that we're really applying a ton of pressure and a lot of sharp shots started to come their way. What did you think about the effect of this substitution and how Real Sociedad kind of started to perform after that? Yeah, like you said, I think game state is a huge thing. I think that it gets to 3-0. Real Madrid's intensity is going to drop no matter what, no matter who you are, unless you're like the, the robots over at Barcelona who will beat you like a drum until it's 9-0. Uh, I think it's natural for intensity to drop. And I see it, the line drop deeper. I thought we started getting more numbers into attack, maybe not tracking back as well, and La Real up the intensity. And like you said, they were doing some good things. That fluidity, once it starts to click, is going to cause trouble. And, and that's what happened. Probably should have got to this first, but after the Cardona sub, obviously, Maite's position changed. She was moved to the left wing. We've seen this before, and we talked about, I think, the last time we saw it, we kind of liked it. I don't know about this time. Like, first of all, I mean, I guess Cardona coming off has more to do with, okay, let's keep protecting her, given that's not that long ago since she came back from injury. She's also recovering. Well, I mean, she if she's playing, the, the idea is that she's fully recovered from COVID, but maybe that's also a factor. But just from like a, a footballing perspective, I thought it was a bit of a weird sub because Aslani moves to being the striker alongside Esther, and then Maite moves to the left. And in a situation where we were being pinned back so much, being 3-0 up, I felt like we lost some juice on the counterattack until Atene ended up coming on, which was, which was a fair bit of time. So like, what did you think about Maite in that position? 
what we might expect in maybe like a more normal game is that would actually get Maite more involved, right? She could just kind of become like a left central midfielder like we've seen her in the past. But I don't know if it changed much for her. And I think it made us a little, made it a little bit harder for us count, for, to counterattack the way we, we probably might have needed to to relieve some of that pressure that Real Sociedad were throwing at us. Yeah, I think what we actually got from this substitution was less of Maite on the ball and more of Esther dropping to receive and trying to turn and play to Aslani and Muller running through. And I think that all three of them started to drift more centrally so that you saw a disconnect between the midfield and the forwards because there was no, you had midfielders going wide, but there was nowhere to really link up wide because Esther was coming into the middle and, and kind of everything was clogged centrally. And we also lacked a little bit of pace up front, I think. And it, it hurt our ability to not only play out of pressure, but create chances. Yeah, it, it was a bit of a strange one. And so I said Mike, they plays on the left, which meant Muller obviously went to the right. Apologies for that, but if you think it's confusing now, wait till we get to the, the rest of the Real Sociedad subs. I think this is probably the one point in the game where Toriel mismanaged things a bit. I think he, he largely managed it well up until that point and, and just, I think, made the wrong calculation as to what, it, what, what basically these substitutions would lead to. Because I think lacking pace is the right way to frame our troubles trying to break out on the counter in that period. And then also, it's not like Svava was going to be able to get up there and hold the left flank on her own when suddenly our defense was being put under siege with more numbers and she was really being pushed back and we needed her back defending. And it, it would have been a huge ask to have her going up and down like that, right? And especially three in a lot, why take the risk? right? Like be a bit more conservative in that position. So Real Sociedad don't really wait around after they end up scoring, which we haven't necessarily talked about yet, right? So 66th minute, we're jumping all over the place now. So let's just, <laughs> let's just get it all out there. 66th minute, it, things become a lot more uncomfortable. Real Sociedad end up scoring it's like sort of from a transition moment so like it's from a throw-in I think it was it's our throw-in on the right hand side in Real Sociedad's half I think it was Esther who like loses the ball or something she actually commits a foul that doesn't get called which I was impressed the referee didn't because these are Primera Verdola refs calls advantage plays it all the way down to the right and this is Poliak making her impact going out to the right holding the ball up well kind of facing up with Svava and Svava has done well to cut off her angle to really dribble either way. And so Poyak just plays the pass into now I'm blanking on who it was making the run. It was, it was uh, Gabby Garcia. I yeah. It was Gabriela Garcia who made the run and it was a really good run, but this is where I start to get disappointed with how we defend it. So Ivana is dragged out a bit because Svava's all the way to the touchline. It's we're in transition defense. And Ivana's like just just trying to like be there in case Fava gets beaten on the outside, which I understand. Gabby Garcia is Kasi's mark. And she just kind of falls asleep for half a second. And she and, and Garcia makes the run in behind. And then Ivana does a really good job to recover. And then after that, I don't know what's happening. Because Ivana like goes to ground way too early, gets completely turned 
Kasi like thinks Ivana has it. So she starts looking around for other people to mark. And when she turns around, Ivana's dropped and she can't recover. And then Muller comes all the way over, like a gut busting run from her position to defend the box and like just lets the cutback just like go through her legs. And it falls to Francie, who puts a beautiful finish in the back of the net. There's not really anything Misa can do. That was not the greatest piece of defending. No, that is an understatement. It was like everything that could go wrong went wrong in that sequence. It was, <laughs> it was not good. It was, you know, another one of those moments that just felt right in this match, though. I'm interested in what you think about Ivana's season as a whole, because I feel like there are a lot of moments where we say there was many things wrong with the defense, but Ivana was mostly doing her, her things correctly. But as the matches have piled on and there have been little goals conceded here and there, I'm getting somewhat of a sense that like, this isn't exactly the same Ivana we saw last season. And this is very much a to her standards kind of thing, because if you were to compare her to all the other center backs, I think she's pretty clearly been our best center back of the season and has been a lot more impressive than others. But compared to her standards, which are really high, right? Like this was a player last season who who I was at least like, she might've been a top three performer for us last season. So, so impressed. Some of this, I know, probably affected by the whole weird left center back thing, which we've just kind of resigned ourselves to. Like, this, this is just what it is now. But there have been these types of mistakes, right? Where one versus one, she's just turned like that in, in moments she wouldn't have, like some lapses in box defense. Am I, like, being unnecessarily harsh? Like, am I disassociating myself from the actual evidence and letting, you know, certain moments kind of dictate my feelings here? Or is it kind of fair to say that Ivana's not quite at the standard that, that we saw her last season and we expect just a bit more? I think not quite at the standard is the right way to put it because like you said, she is still our best center back. For me, she was a top three player last year on the team. Like she was absolutely sensational throughout the entire season but I feel like whether it's her being at left center back or not like I think that some of the you know stepping defensively some of the other defensive moments have dropped off a little bit and I think that her willingness or ability to really take the ball and dictate how the team plays from the back is definitely taking a hit as well and like we said it could go back to that kind of move to left center back. And we have maybe coaches that don't know exactly how impactful she can be in the other role and just have looked at what the others have done recently. But I hadn't been thinking about it. But now that you say that, I I think you're right. I think that her performance has gone down a notch. That being said, she's still integral to this team and still a huge net positive. Yeah, I, I think we rely on her to carry the defense so much that it becomes noticeable when like she she drops off the level. And I just want to see like that consistency over the full 90 minutes come back. I don't know if the on-ball stuff, we're ever going to really see it the same way again, because I do think that's heavily position dependent. Like there were some wonky cross-field giveaways from her in this game, like just cutting in from the left center back position. And I've 
I've complained about that multiple times, like the the types of passes she likes to play from there, which is why I was so adamant on returning her to right center back. I think that is heavily position dependent, but the defensive stuff, it's mostly just the same. And she has a lot of experience playing at left center back. Like prior to Real Madrid, that was her position, which is why I think she's been returned here. And weirdly enough, is like in my, it was like the one good thing Osnar did, moving her to right center back. Like the one clear positive that's been reversed. And I think that's just part of a trend, like with everything that's happened under Toril. I mean, there's a lot of, I think, made up Toril effects that are going around the fan base just because we're winning now without really thinking about what's causing that. One really clear difference has, has been Toril returning players to their quote unquote traditional positions, the positions they had before they came to Real Madrid. I think a lot of that is probably the effect of Irene Ferreras, the assistant coach. Because it's not like Toril was ultra familiar with the squad coming in, but ultimately he is, the, he is the one approving that decision. So I think that's been one of the main differences, right? Maite going to number 10, being an attacking midfielder. That's where she used to play before Real Madrid. Tere playing in a deeper role. That's where she used to play before Real Madrid. Ivana Andres playing left center back is where she used to play before Real Madrid. And kind of the Tere Maite case, it's like, this is good. These, these are switches we wanted. Osnar made the wrong call there, even, even if I don't think it was, it was really that detrimental because they're, they're so good. They work in, in, in a ton of positions. The Ivana one is disappointing because that's the one where I felt like for what, whatever reason he did it, I think he got it right. He found something there, and Ivana was the best defender in, in the league besides Mappe Leon. And I think Mappe Leon is the best center back in the world. So that, it worked. And it's changed back now. And to be fair, Osnar also, like, before he got sacked, moved Ivana to left side. It was, this whole thing is, is just really weird. It's really weird. I think it affects her possession a lot. But defensively, I don't see why it should because she has experience in, on both sides of the pitch. And she was a fantastic center back defensively before she came to Madrid, which is why we ended up signing her. So I think that bit is on her, and I want to see that level come back up. because. Again, we, we got the three points, but our march back to the Champions League positions is nowhere near done. It's nowhere near accomplished, and uh, we're going to need the highest level from everyone going forward. So that's the goal. That was like the one moment where Ivana really didn't shower herself in glory, although up until that point, I thought she was quite strong. And um, Arroyo soon makes more changes, and this is where it starts to get kind of weird, like, so the, the, I guess the more straightforward one was Mari Tore coming on for Ane Exezareta. <laughs> Jensen comes on for Gabby Garcia, which felt like more of attacking subs. So now you just kind of had like five players committed to that front line. And at times it was like Iris was the only central midfielder, though Francie as the way I understood it as like the match wore on, I could see how these subs were playing. I was like, Francie kind of dropped into midfield more alongside Iris and then everyone else was forward. So that was kind of a change that happened there. And then three minutes later, we bring on Olga for Maite. I think that's a little bit of Toril rectifying his mistake there. I think he realized after the goal, he's like, all right, we need a better outlet on the left-hand side. And then Atenea comes on from Muller, which was the expected one. And this is where I thought our counterattacking threat returned. And we had some decent moments on the break. 
the final sub for Real Sociedad was in the 84th minute, which was Mirari coming on for Amayor, which I just think was a sub that happened because Amayor wasn't playing that well. I mean, you could kind of see when Amayor came off, like, you know, the high five with Natalia Arroyo, little shake of her head as she walks aside, knowing that she didn't really play that well. Not done with the subs because we end in the 89th minute with Claudia Florentino on for Teresa Abier in midfield. Claudia, by the way, made like three or four like barnstorming runs into the box. She's like, let's see if I can get a goal. Um, but she was in central midfield. And then Lucia came on for Kendi, which is just a straight swap. And that was, that was all the subs. So let's roll it back to the... 75th minutes, 76 minutes subs, the double sub from Real Sociedad where Torre comes on, Jensen comes on, and from and I guess work it from there to, you know, not, mu- not much later, we have Olga Athene comes on. How did you see the dynamic of the game there and the, the opportunities that were produced for both sides or the lack thereof? Yeah, I mean, these, these substitutions for La Real pretty much directly led to a period where they almost cut it to 3-2. Talk about those substitutions coming on in the 75th minute. Two minutes later, it's, you know, a, a another little play down that right flank that led to the first goal is similar to that. And Misa ends up making a good save, parrying it, and leaving it on the doorstep right by the penalty box. And Kenty Robles is, is forced into making a sliding clearance. And, you know... If, <laughs> Real Sociedad make it 3-2 in that moment. Those last 15, 20 minutes are about to be very, very chaotic. And it took a big play from Misa and a big play from Kenti to, to prevent those subs from making a difference right off the bat. I think up until our third goal, Toreo kind of had the better of things with the defensive game plan, the way the 11s were matching up. It wasn't perfect, obviously, from a perspective of us in possession, but it was going our way. And we also see that we're, they just didn't have what it took to get back in the game from the initial plan. I think starting with the first set of subs, Oroyo slowly worked her, her magic with the changes she made. And we also see that had the better of things, right? Obviously, game state wise, I expect there to be more pressure, right? I expect there to be even more chances, but there were. The goal they scored, along, along with that Kenti clearance, like those were awfully clear-cut. Those were awfully close and not stuff that, you know, you just kind of ho- hold your hands up and be like, all right, we, we got to give those up, right? Like, no, nah, that happens. 3-2, as you said, Grant, things start to look very scary in that situation. I will say, though, that with Olga and Atenea coming on, it threw the balance of the game back a little towards us. And... Olga had a moment where she had like two moments actually putting crosses in that just missed. Aslani was the first one. I can't remember who was the other one. And that maybe could have been a moment where it was 4-1. So it's interesting how this game just went back and forth with substitutions like really having decisive impacts on the way this game went, which is not something you see all the time, right? Subs don't always make that kind of impact. But it's often been the case between these two teams that they do that they really change how both sides are playing. And it leads to these momentum shifts where really anything can happen. And I don't, I like, I feel like between these two sides, it's, like, it's just like one of the marquee matchups of Primera Iberdrola. When it comes to excitement, when it comes to craziness, 
this one like doesn't fail to deliver. Like maybe the most disappointing one was the one we lost way back early last season. And even that had that crazy Cardona goal to start things off. I, I think it's a pretty good advert for Premier Verdola football. I couldn't agree more. It's been one of those matches that is consistently unpredictable and entertaining. And I think there's always, every time these teams play each other, like both teams score at least one. Sometimes both teams are scoring multiple goals. It's been a fun matchup, not for the fame part when you're supporting these teams, but they've had some pretty iconic matchups. The table as it looks right now, I feel like it's been a while since we've done this because Real Madrid have not been in a flattering position in the table. So Barcelona, as expected, 57 points, 19 wins, 19 matches, a goal difference of 101, which as someone pointed out to me on Twitter, is equivalent to the goal difference combined of every other team in the league. So, which in, in that it's a 101 positive goal difference for them. And then the collective goal difference for the rest of the league is negative 101, which is just insane. Um, so they've only conceded five goals in 19 matches. One of the goals they conceded was in the match they had versus Levante, which the, the match started before ours, but it sort of coincided. I watched the 45 minutes I could before the Real Madrid game started. And it was interesting to watch Barca like not play well at all for a good 20, 25 minutes. Obviously, Alexia Aitana were not in the 11, so that was part of it, but they were also just playing below their standard. And it was like Levante were making stuff happen, and then Jenny Hermoso ends up missing a penalty. And you think, oh, maybe, just maybe we can get something here. And then their goalkeeper tries to juggle Oshawala like right outside her box, gives the ball straight away, 1-0, and then it's done from there. So yeah. Regardless of however well a team plays Barca, it doesn't matter. There they are at the top, 57 points. We also see that still in second place, which they have a decent bit of cushion, 43 points. But Atletico Madrid have the game in hand, 38 points. Granadilla, who just always seem to be up there, 37 points in fourth place. Athletic Bilbao, 33 points in fifth place. And we're there in sixth place now with 29 points. The good news is we have two games in hand on Athletic and Granadilla, one game in hand on Atleti. So really, if we were to assume that we win two games, we'd have 35 points, which would put us right in between Granadilla and Athletic, three points of Atletico, off of Atletico Madrid with them having a game in hand. like So we'd and, be right well, game, back in the mix. And the game in hand that Atletico has is against us. Remember? Yeah, we had, one, yeah, one of, we had, yeah, one of those games in hand is against us, right? So so if I, if I assume we win both of those, then actually we'd only be three points within them if we, if we give Atleti the other win in their next match, right? So yeah. all of this is to say we're right back in the mix. Champions League qualification is fully possible. And... The crucial one is that Atletico Madrid game. But we're right there. We, we probably have more than, than what, what Athletic Club and, and Granadilla have to be in the mix. Atletico Madrid is the really tough one because I think they're a good side. And I personally argue they're probably actually the second best team in the league, you know, over the course of, of the season so far. I, I like Real Sociedad a lot. I like Natalia Arroyo a lot. 
I do think they've been overperforming a little bit. Like StatsBomb recently put out some data on the league. They showed XG difference totals for all the teams. And Barca obviously was far and away ahead of everyone else. And then it was Atletico Madrid. Then it was Athletic Bilbao. And then it was Real Sociedad looking good. They were in the positive, but not anywhere near uh, a two seed that is just like, just can't lose. Right. So they've, they've definitely scraped some close results. And a lot of that has to do with Amayur and Narea just carrying that offense. That being said, like, I, I think we also did have the potential to fall off. The issue is for us, Atletico Madrid, I think for the second season in a row, have been a bit unlucky with their finishing and are maybe a bit better than the table suggests, which for them might mean they could keep rising and they could be the two seed. So I think we can get ahead of Atletic. I think we can get ahead of Granadilla. Getting that third spot, wrangling it, and holding on to it versus these two sides is going to be difficult, but it's fully possible again. And that's, that's what we have to be shooting for. That's what we have to be aiming for. I mean, that's, that's what this win gave us. It gave us the definitive belief that we were like, we, we kept asking beforehand, are we back in it? Are we back in it? When you beat Real Sociedad 3-1, the answer to that is yes, you're back in it. And now you have to execute and now you have to go on a big run. And, so, and, and those two teams play each other this weekend. La Real and Atletico. Yeah, so it, it's, it's all happening. One of those teams is going to drop points, if not both. It's all happening right now. It's all happening right now. These are, these are crucial moments, right? This is the exciting part of the league season when things start to come together. This is why we like this league. Maybe Barca wins it as soon as the league starts, but no other position in the table is decided. It's just too close between everyone else. So, yeah, that's the top six right there. Sevilla are two points behind us with three games in hand, but I think it's the top six and everyone else. Like, as I told you, Sevilla lost to Villarreal. They have a lot of offensive potential, but boy, is their defense nowhere near the level they need to be to to be playing in the Champions League. So yeah, it's the top six where there's like, I think real quality and maybe towards like the very end of the season, we'll see a bit of separation. But at the moment, it's just like, you know, like just, one or two matches separating all the sides going to the number two position. And then obviously there being Barca looking ahead for Real Madrid's future games. Betis next Sunday, February 6th at 6 AM. We got, I think a little spoiled by these recent matches that were at better times for you and me, Grant. We're back to that. Feb 13 versus a bar is a 5 AM game. So I think back into that normal schedule, most probably, although it was, it's a way to a bar. So I don't know if we'll actually be able to watch that, but sometimes 5am is their, their placeholder too. Um, Maybe they haven't exactly decided when that game is. Hopefully, (laughs) hopefully we've also, we've also woken up at 4.30am for game. So it can go either way. It's not looking bad for these two specific opponents. I mean, a bar is always kind of tough, but I mean, Look, just relatively speaking, they're not in Atletico Madrid. They're not a Real Sociedad. Abar currently in 12th place. Real Betis in 9th place. We don't want to take these games for granted. We saw what happened when we did that, and it put us in a real bad position. But compared to the fixtures we have coming up after that, these are the ones we got to do because there then comes Athletic Club, March 6th. And yeah, I said we're more talented than them, but they're probably the most well-coached side in the league under Iraya Turegi. 
And then after that comes Barca, and then Barca again, and then Levante, and then Barca. And right. somewhere the Atletico Madrid match plus another scheduled match has to come in. So we got two quote unquote easy games, and then it's just, it's hell. full business. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the run of hell. So, yeah, that's what we have to look forward to, guys. We'll let you know as soon as we can when those games are rescheduled. Though, don't hold your breath. This is Primera Bordola we're talking about. Until then, I guess we'll see you guys next time. Grant, as always, thanks for doing this with me. Ala Madrid. Ala Madrid.